the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toast. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Parents is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Parents cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferenc Stokes. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. I just want to uh, wish every, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving break. I know I did. Enjoyed some time with my family and, and uh, loved ones, and hope you did also. One thing that uh, I wanted to discuss here that I think is very pertinent to today and what we're dealing with is recently I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and our family was spending a little time there and uh, got to visit Hershey Park and then the uh, museum, the Hershey Story Museum. And I learned some things about Milton Hershey. Of course, he founded the Hershey Bar, the chocolate bar, that I was not aware of. I'm a big history buff, but I didn't know much about Milton Hershey. It turns out that, uh, you know, he, like many uh, successful business people, he had uh, great successes and great failures, actually had many great failures before he landed on, well, interestingly enough, he was the largest caramel uh, caramel candy maker in the world, or in the country at least, and he had decided in the early 1900s that uh, caramel was a fad and chocolate was the future. He sold his caramel company, even though he was the largest one, most successful, and put everything onto chocolate and, of course, became you know very, very successful as a result. Some of the key things I learned about Milton Hershey I found fascinating was how he was really, he built a company town. Hershey, Pennsylvania was built by the Hershey Company and the a model company town. You know, they had parks and schools and roads, and he encouraged people to buy their own homes and that type of thing because he felt like that would create a better environment uh, for the people that worked in his company. His attitude was a happy happy worker would be a more productive worker, which has obviously been, is true. We all know that. But what I found remarkable is how much time and energy an effort he put into all that. And then, of course, him and his wife did not have children, and he ended up leaving his almost entire fortune, uh, $60 million at that time, which in, when he died in 1945, that was a lot of money, um, to a school for disadvantaged boys, which is still operating, doing its thing in a very big way. The point I'm getting at is, I contrast that, when you look at a lot of the historical, wealthy entrepreneurs, one of the questions I've asked a number of times is, where are the wealthy patriots? Where are the leading patriots of our day? And at about the same time recently, we had a visit from the Chinese dictator Xi in San Francisco. And at that meeting, there was a business meeting where there, most of the leading business owners, you know, the head of Apple, and of course, Elon Musk was there, and Google and Meta, all these all these business big time business leaders were there at a big dinner with the Chinese dictator. Apparently, the dinner was like forty thousand dollars a plate for the you know be at the head table, and it was a couple thousand dollars to be in the room. But it was a who's who of business leaders in the United States at this dinner. And what I found striking was I I understand on one respect why they were there because many of them. Their companies are multi-global, international entities, and China is a big market for them. But they're not really focused so much on the United States, even though most of them, of course, live here, founded here and all that. Their really focus and their motivation and their loyalty even is to multinational, not really for this country. So for some of them, you know, frankly, they could probably care less you know, about what goes on in this country, even though they live here. That's what I find so ironic. Now, I can give Elon Musk a, a, a partial pass on it. He did buy Twitter, and as you put it, he paid $44 billion for it. And it wasn't because that was the cost of Twitter, as he put it. That was the price of free speech. He didn't buy Twitter because it was a good deal or it was a good business. 
It wasn't. It was a terrible business. He even said it himself. It needed to be changed, needed to be restructured. He had to get rid of like 75% of the workers, all of it. But he bought it because, as he stated, free speech was inherent for democracy and for our way of life. Where are the other patriots, leading patriots, the wealthy patriots? I'll give you a quick, quick example. You know, um, Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon, he bought the New York Times for like $300 million. I don't think he bought the New York Times because he saw, thought that was a great business. In fact, most people believe that the newspaper business is a dinosaur. It's on its way out. You know, you know, Internet, media, all types of other media sources are growing leaps and bounds, while newspapers are on their way out or on the downside, at least. But he knew it had a tremendous influence, at least at this point, and him obviously being left-leaning and that newspaper obviously left-leaning. He wanted to make sure that he had an influence on the arena of ideas. So it was more about influencing the arena of ideas more than just the return on investment. And so I've heard more and more call for this. We do need some of this where we have American-loving patriots who happen to be wealthy, successful business people who, like Elon Musk, Maybe purchase a business or start a business, not because it's necessarily the most financial successful thing they can do, but because it's important. It's the most important thing that they can do because they've already made their mark. They've made their success, that type of thing. And I'd like to see more of that. Like I said, when you talk about Milton Hershey or some of the historical figures, you could certainly make arguments of how they treated workers and stuff in those days, although by every record, Milton Hershey seemed to be better than most. My point is they certainly were civically oriented. They did focus on doing things that improved their community and their country, and they were patriotic for the most part. And I'd like to see more of that, you know, in our uh, society today. So that would just a, just a thought that I had visiting Hershey that I thought was very interesting. Getting into December, the end of the year, the holidays, all that kind of stuff, and Usually it's a, a time, a little bit lighter time and be happier. And I'm generally part of that. But there are some things that I need to address. I don't take pleasure in this. I don't take pleasure in sharing negative or bad economic news. But at the same time, I feel like I would be remiss and be doing a disservice if I didn't share some of this information so that you can indeed make better financial decisions for your money. Because it is likely, not certain, but certainly likely that things could happen before the end of this year, certain things that could affect your money and help you make decisions. And a lot of people start thinking about what they're going to do, planning, starting the beginning of the year. So it's a good time to share some of these things. But there's a gauge out there. You know, if you've been listening to this show, you know, for some time, I've been sharing a number of leading economic indicators that continue to point to that we are headed to a recession. Now, again, it doesn't guarantee that we will be in recession. It's just these leading economic indicators have rarely, and some of them have never been wrong when they flash a signal recession is coming soon, okay? So one of the uh, gauges, another one, LEI index. It's the Leading Economic Indicator Index. Quite effectively predicts upcoming recessions. And the LEI index declined again in October after falling in September, mostly on worsening consumer expectations. So it's an index of a number of leading economic indicators. And again, when this is moves into negative territory, and its 6- and 12-month growth rates are also currently in negative territory, it generally, most often, more far more often than not, predicts a recession. And again, most economists and experts, anybody in the financial world is predicting that we are heading into a recession. A lot of people were predicting it was going to happen in 2023. Now they're saying 2024. And I I share in a previous show why it's been delayed. The theory is there was so much money helicoptered into the economy from the government stimulus, from the COVID stimulus, that that money takes a while for it to filter through the system, so to speak. What it did, I believe, is whatever economic scenario we were going to deal with, which increasingly looks like a recession, it didn't avoid it. It just delayed it. And again, they put money in the system for a couple of years, tremendous levels of, of 
spending and stimulus, which would make you cause to think that the delay on the recession would probably be a couple years after it would have been normally. So if it does end up happening, say, in 2024, like a lot of economists are predicting, that would hold true to form. So that's, that's my current theory that we're working with, like, is what I'm trying to say. But here's another thing that's starting to wake people up and I think is very, very eye-opening is the U.S. credit is getting downgraded as signs of default are becoming clearer. In other words, the world is waking up, as this article uh, states, to the stark reality that's going to affect tens of millions of Americans. Is that, that is, the government, federal government may be un- unable to pay its bills sooner rather than later. You see, the financial situation is deteriorating far more rapidly on the U.S. debt because of the higher interest. I've talked about this in some of the previous shows. I'm not going to go into a lot of deal detail about that today. All three credit rating agencies are downgrading the outlook on the debt, which means downgrades on the debt are likely to happen soon. Those are going to have impacts in a negative way in terms of interest rates staying higher for longer. In fact, as they were stating, the government's paying back paying back on its the bondholders, the bondholders that are buying these bonds that are supporting this debt, okay, at a lesser value than what they were borrowed at because the go, the uh, U dollar over the last 3 years has lost about 17% of its value, which means the government's paying repaying it's like repaying 83 cents on the dollar of what it promised to pay. So that's one of the reasons why we're seeing some negative movement there. The other big one, of course, I talked about in the last show was this, uh, this recent bond offering. The company that was sponsoring it or issuing the bond, they had to buy 25% of the offering because the buyers just weren't there. In other words, the demand was not there. It was a $24 billion auction of 30-year treasury bonds. And the primary dealers were forced to accept 25% of the offering, which is more than double the average over the last year. The reason why that's happening is you've got record spending last year with $1.7 trillion. That means the government had to spend one or sell $1.7 trillion of new debt or new bonds over and above what they had before. And at the same time, two of the biggest buyers, that being the Federal Reserve and the Bank of China, are net sellers of bonds now. They're not buying them anymore. So you have the two largest buyers out there of bonds not buying anymore, and you have record availability. They're selling record amounts of it because for every dollar that the government borrows, prints, and spends, they have to issue a bond to offset that, which means there's record amount of bonds available. So basic supply and demand, folks, lots of bonds available means they got to offer a higher interest rate. The federal government has to offer a higher interest rate to entice people to buy these bonds. That will force interest rates across the board to be higher for longer. Now, there's a good side to that also, interest rate-sensitive assets. You can win this game. You can thrive in this economic change. It's a significant change that, say, what we've had over the past decade where we had low interest rates an easy monetary policy. Again, it's the opposite. You can thrive in this with interest rate sensitive assets. Your personal bank happens to be one, one of those and will thrive in this environment. We do expect dividends to go higher for the next number of years. Plus, it has guarantees insured and tax-free. I want to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to share some more things going on and also how you can thrive in this economic change that we're dealing with as we speak. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc, and I've been sharing some, well, economic information that I wish was better news. Again, I hate to be harping on bad economic news, but but. Folks, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good news to share today, these days. I'd rather you be aware of what's going on so you can make better financial decisions and know how to navigate 
this higher interest, higher for longer interest rate environment world that we're very likely going to be in for the next number of years. It's shaping up to be higher for longer interest rates. You're hearing it everywhere. And again, it's like in the last segment I shared, it has to do with the amount of treasury bonds that are being issued and the government having to offer a higher interest rate to entice people to buy these bonds because of the record spending. That's the main driver behind this, okay? And that's not me saying this. This is Moody's and Fitch and every economist you can imagine saying the same thing. But there's some other cracks that we're looking at that are of concern and certainly uh, elevate the risk of where we're at and elevate the likelihood of a recession coming upon us. And that is China. The Chinese economic meltdown is starting to panic. In fact, there's been about a trillion dollars of, of assets wiped out of the Chinese stock market in this past year. You see, China did something that beyond even the United States, and again, we should take as a warning and learn from, and that is they've taken on even more debt than the United States did on a, on a GDP level or per capita level, however you want to measure it. They've taken on even greater levels of debt than the United States did, and they poured a lot of that into real estate. They overbuilt on the real estate tremendously, even beyond anything we've, uh, we've done. If you want an analogy, most of you remember 08, 09, where there was excess, too much real estate, overbuilding and all that, too much inventory. And we saw what happened with too much debt, too much inventory, and the real estate market just literally collapsed. Uh, in a generation. And there's some other reasons behind that, but it was a huge, significant downturn. And there are many economists that are now lo- saying, look, China is uh, increasingly becoming a fearful of investing money in China because their on- economy is getting on shaky ground. They've been a stalwart in terms of economic growth for the last s- several decades, even. And their growth rate is certainly slowing down at the very least, if not possibly going backwards, going into a uh, they could end up into a deep recession. We're going to see what happens. But, of course, China's the second largest economy in the world. Um, again, nowhere near as big as our economy certainly would have an impact on our economy in our markets and all those types of things in a significant way. But closer to home, I think this one's the maybe hits folks a little closer to home. Last week's show, I discussed a lot about inflation. And I discussed that because the Biden administration had recently touted that inflation was down 65%. And that is not actually accurate. The accurate statement would be the rate of growth is down 65%. In other words, inflation is still going up at about a 4% annual clip, which is about double of what the Federal Reserve target rate is for what they consider stable, stable economy, stable currency. So it's the inflation still increasing. The prices of things are still going up. It's just they're not going up as fast as they were before. You know, in 2022, we hit a peak of about 9%, according to the CPI numbers, those are the government numbers. We hit about 9% annual inflation rate. Now we're about 4%. So certainly it's better than it was last year. No argument there. But to say inflation is down 65% is very misleading at best, and it's just flat-out incorrect. It just means it's still going up. It's just not going up as fast as it was. In other words, you have to add on the cumulative effects of all the inflation to really get a better picture of what it's all about. And if you look at inflation over the past roughly three years, according to the government numbers, the CPI numbers, it's 18%. The government is telling us the average item is 18% more expensive today than it was a year or three years ago. What does that mean? It means that an item you purchased for $100 three years ago is now $118. Now, what's interesting about some of those numbers is they take out food and energy. Most people, food and energy is probably two of their biggest monthly expenses. And we all know those averages have increased far more than 18% over the last three years. I mean, that's just a fact. No one can argue with that. Go to the grocery store or the gas station today versus three years ago. There's no comparison. The difference, depending on what you're talking about, averages are actually the averages on food and energy around 30 to 40% higher than they were three years ago. Now, the effect of that, the net effect of that is Americans now are increasingly tapping their retirement savings to cover housing, medical bills, and just even living expenses like food and energy increasingly more, they're taking hardship withdrawals, are getting at 
some of the highest levels we've seen on record. This is not good. When people are taking money from their retirement accounts to pay for their living expenses, it's a double whammy. For one, they're obviously not adding to their retirement. They're losing the benefit of compound growth and all that type of stuff they'll have down the road. Also, in a retirement account, oftentimes, at the very least, there's taxes that have to be paid, sometimes penalties. Or they qualify for hardship uh, withdrawal. That can be avoided. But the reality is they get hit with taxes or pe- and or penalties, and they forfeit future growth. And if you understand compound interest, it's not if you take a small amount out now, let's say you took out 10000 to supplement your, in, your living expenses for this year. Well, that 10000 depending on how long you lived and the rate of growth, uh, you know, in 10 years could have been 20000 and in 20 years be 40000 My point is by taking the ten grand now, you gave up 40000 20 years from now. And obviously 30 years from now, it's 80000 My point is the longer time, the younger you are, the more time you have for that to compound, the more impact that withdrawal today is going to have, far more hurt you, far more. And by the way, those numbers were assuming, say, about a 7% average return if you were getting that, which I'm going to show you how you can do that, uh, in fact, with with guarantees and tax-free. My point is you're giving up a tremendous amount of the future, robbing, robbing, you're, you're robbing the golden goose. You're, you're killing the goose that's laying the golden eggs, if you know what I'm trying to say. So this is a very bad situation, but people are doing it because, well, desperate people do desperate things in desperate times. And the other thing about it, too, is human beings, it's a, it's, we have a remarkable resistance to change, but then also a remarkable ability to adapt to a new surroundings. So if you, let's say, live in a, uh, buy a nicer car or, bigger, or a bigger home or something like that, it's really easy to adapt to that larger, nicer situ- living situation, nicer car, whatever. It's really hard to go back. We just don't like to go back. We don't like to downsize. It, we find it very, that change is very jarring. It's very difficult. Human beings naturally have a resistance to downsizing and all that. So if their cost of living goes up because of inflation, which certainly has happened, and you're having to dip into, say, future retirement savings to maintain that current lifestyle, if that goes on too long, that spells disaster, plain and simple. That's financial disaster. <clears throat> if you're in that type of situation, I'm just going to recommend to you strongly you need to start changing some of your, you've got to increase your income or reduce your expenses or both. You might have to look at downsizing or something. I don't know what the situation is. Everybody's different, but you can't keep hoping and keep going that way, extend a period of time and hoping and wishing that things get better. Because again, as I stated in the last segment, this interest rate environment is likely going to be higher for longer. Inflation has certainly been stickier than than originally expected. I didn't, I thought it this was not a surprise to me, honestly. I, you can go back to yourpersonalbank.com and listen to the previously recorded shows. There's years of shows there. So you could go back two or three years where I was talking about this, and it's still there. So I'm not just saying this. It didn't surprise me. I understand once the inflation bottle gets out, the genie gets out of the bottle, it's super-duper difficult to get it back in. Another warning sign, concern, rising delinquencies offer economic warning signs. Uh, We discussed in one of the previous shows that um, the delinquencies on auto loans is at some of the highest levels we've seen since 1994. I mean, that's just crazy, crazy. Uh, We have record credit card debt. We have some of the highest amounts of credit card. Well, we have the highest amount of credit card debt outstanding in history ever since they've been tracking it. And more and more people are having difficulty paying down the, the, the debt. So the numbers of debt is going up as it gets to the point where you start having difficulty making the minimum payments. Then you start going into a debt spiral, much like we've discussed the federal government is doing with their spend in the bonds. As they continue to keep spending money, they're going to go into a uh, debt spiral. And you can certainly do that by borrowing too much and paying too much interest on it. Again, I don't see credit card interest rates going down anytime soon. And another warning sign, retail sales fall to the lowest level in two years as inflation is biting into it. See, one of the bright spots has been consumer spending in the economy. It's one of the reasons, again, it goes back to my theory I said, I think, at the beginning of this segment, 
where a lot of economists were predicting that we would have a recession in 2023, and it hasn't happened yet. It's been delayed. Most are now saying 24. It's because the consumer has been strong. The consumer has been spending, and that, of course, helps keep job growth strong because if consumers are spending, companies are making things, building things, and selling them to the consumer. And the reason that consumer spending was so, so strong for so long is, again, so much of that money, that COVID relief money, was thrown into the system, and it just takes time for it to percolate through and for people to spend it. And that's really what it boils down to. I've shared this example so many times. I have so many examples with clients, but one that just you know strikes me is this business owner. He had a number of cl- uh, employees, and they had the uh, program where you could get money as a company if you, if you continue to pay your employees. And so he qualified for that. He got roughly $300,000 for his business, which was roughly a year's worth payroll for his company. And he said to me, Ferris, here's the dirty little secret. I was going to keep his business, in fact, maintain, continued, actually grew in the pandemic. His was one of them that actually thrived. Some businesses thrived. Others suffered. Some lost. Some went out of business. His was one that actually thrived, but he still qualified. He got the money. And he said the dirty little secret, and he didn't have to pay it back either because later he qualified for not having to pay it back. And he said, here's the dirty little secret. I was going to pay the payroll anyway. I was going to keep these people on staff anyway. I wanted them. They're good employees for his company. They've been with him a long time. He goes, and what happened is the government paid a year's worth of my payroll, which was his number one expense for his company. So he got a huge raise, a huge increase in income that year. And so you get that kind of significant bump in income all of a sudden. You know, unless you just go out and blow it on really big ticket items, you're not going to, it's going to take some time to spend that money. And it's taken him a couple of years to spend that extra money. Uh, He has put some of it into his business. He bought a new car, you know, did some remodeling on his house, all that kind of stuff that he wasn't being extravagant or anything, but all the typical stuff that most people do. And if you multiply that times millions, again, that's why I think my theory holds that that's why the, the recession that is coming, I still firmly believe it's coming, has been delayed. If you want to learn how to thrive through this, focus on interest rate sensitive assets. Your personal bank is one of those, plus tax-free. You want to focus on that too. Your personal bank can do that because taxes are going to, there's going to be more pressure for the government to raise taxes in the future as their debt continues to increase. I encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because I got a few more things that I share with you I think you're going to find very interesting. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferentz Toth. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferentz Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferentz. I've been sharing a number of economic situations, what's going on, what to expect, I think, in the near future. Uh, we're looking at 2024. We're getting into the holiday season. And I do want to, I hope everybody had a great uh, Thanksgiving. And I, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a great holiday season and all that. Happy New Year as we're going to be getting into that. I don't want to stay, get away totally from, from those kinds of things. I'll get there. I'll get there in the next couple of weeks as we move forward, get closer to Christmas time. But there are some really strong warning signs economically. Again, if you're thinking about towards the end of this year, planning for next year, what are you going to do with your money? Everything's pointing to higher interest rates for longer. Again, it goes back to the bonds, record amount of bonds or treasury bonds are being sold by the U.S. government because a lot of people don't realize this. I find it quite interesting. A lot of people think that the government can just print money willy-nilly. It's actually technically not true. They can print money if Congress authorizes them to do so, which, unfortunately, they've been doing that and continuing to do so. But they do have the Federal Reserve is required to hold an asset, equivalent of asset to the amount of currency that's in, the, in, in circulation at any given time. And they typically do that by selling bonds. Now, bond, if you're not familiar with that, of course, is a debt instrument. When a company or the government sells a bond, they're promising to pay the uh, buyer an interest rate. So if you bought, say, a $10,000 bond, 
you know, if, you know, they can buy them at different time frames, you know, two years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever. The government promises to pay you interest for that t- period of time, much like a CD. Interest that they pay doesn't change. It's fixed. So the government pays whatever rate is going on at the time. Or, and it's a little bit of supply and demand, too, of course, that plays into it. Because the government is spending money at record levels, $1.7 trillion deficit last year, which means they sold all the bonds that they sold from their debt, the $33 trillion in debt, a portion of that gets rolled over every year into new bonds, but then also a $1.7 trillion of new bonds over and above whatever was rolled over each year. I mean, if you think about it, it's not this way, but to give you an idea, if all the bonds were 30-year bonds, which are not, and yet $30 trillion of debt, you'd be selling about a trillion dollars every year of bonds to maintain that debt, if that makes sense. $30 trillion of debt and 30-year bonds. Because many of them are shorter terms, 20s and 10s and 2 years, and there's shorter periods than that even. I don't know exact amount how much the government sells in bonds each year, but it's several trillion dollars. And then when you have $1.7 trillion in deficit spending, that's, over, that's an additional $1.7 trillion of bonds that has to be sold that year to somebody on top of the debt that's already being bought. In other words, there's a record level of inventory that the government is selling all these bonds. And you have lots and lots of sellers or the, the government selling a lots and lots of bonds, right? Economics 101. Hopefully this kind of helps people understand this a little better so you can understand how it affects you. When you have a record amount of supply, you have a record amount of bonds being sold and you have fewer buyers. Because remember, the biggest buyers in the past decade were the Federal Reserve and the Bank of China. They've both stepped away from that. They're not buying them anymore. In fact, they're selling them. What the government has to do to get people to buy is they have to offer a higher and higher interest rate. They have to entice buyers. So they raise the rates more and more so that people will then buy those bonds. And if you have fewer and fewer buyers and more and more inventory, more and more bonds to sell, that will keep pushing interest rates up. You have the biggest seller bonds in the world in history selling tremendous amount of bonds at these higher and higher interest rates. If you're a bond buyer, if you're a bond investor, you have some money to invest in something like this, and you can get, say, 5% from, you know, in essence, guaranteed from the government or safe. I'll just put it that way. It's considered safe. I know there's arguments in that point, but, but in the financial industry, a treasury bond is considered a safe, safe asset. If you can get 5% there, why would you buy some other asset or investment where you only got 5 or 6%? Because here you got 5% and lots of safety. You see what I'm trying to say? So that's why the federal government selling all these bonds becomes, becomes the biggest seller out there. They're driving interest rates. They're driving the – and those interest rates, of course, affect all of us on any time we go to borrow money. Anytime we want to borrow money to buy a house or a car or finance anything, for that matter, we have to pay the higher rates because we're, in essence, competing against the U.S. government. The U.S. government's not willing to offer this rate. You've got to offer something better than that because – the likelihood of the U.S. government being able to pay back its bond is high, better than an individual consumer, okay? It's just a risk risk, uh, risk calculation. That's why interest rates will most likely be higher for longer. That's why everybody's saying that. And this is significant. I don't, most people aren't talking about this very much. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of understanding about this, but there's going to be because we're, gonna, we're dealing with it as we speak, and we're going to continue to do so as we go forward. The solution to it is the government's going to have to stop spending so much. They're going to have to stop ish having to sell so many bonds. By, sell, by spending less money, they can sell less bonds, therefore reduce supply, and then that's what could cause interest rates to go back down. Unfortunately, with our current political situation, we don't have politicians that have the, have the political will to reduce spending in, one, in any shape, form, or manner at this point. That's why voting next year is going to become so important in terms of voting for people who are fiscally responsible and will actually reduce the levels of spending. But that's a whole other discussion. Today, I'm really wanting to focus on how it's affecting us. Now, given the fact that it's almost certain that we're going to have higher interest rates for longer, 
what do you invest your money in? That's what I probably the number one question I get. Well, you want to focus on interest rate sensitive assets. We all know most people are familiar with the stock markets and real estate markets. And most people understand that low interest rates are good for the stock market and real estate market, particularly the real estate market. Because if somebody gets a mortgage and it's a low cost of borrowing, they can afford more house. They can more the money they have can go towards the house versus the interest to the mortgage. We're seeing the opposite now. Interest rates going higher, more and more of somebody's monthly payment has to go towards the interest, therefore less to the house. They can afford less house, which that tends to cause prices to go down. Now, we haven't seen a lot. We've seen some of that already. There is an inventory issue with real estate currently. Uh, a bit of, there's a shortage in a lot of places, and that's holding the prices up. Also, the other factor in the real estate market, of course, a lot of people are locked in the low interest rate mortgages they got a couple of years ago or so. So even if they want to move, they're reluctant to do so because if they do move and have to get a new mortgage, they're going to have a much higher interest rate. The thing that's going to change that, of course, if somebody gets into a financial situation where they're unable to pay the mortgage. And what would cause that? Well, an economic downturn. Obviously, people would then lose jobs. Businesses would lose money. People would lose their ability to make the mortgage payment, and they would then be forced to move or forced to downsize, and that will create inventory, and that will create opportunity. The stock market probably is a little more direct. Businesses typically, to grow, expand, sell their product, whatever, use monies to do those things, and if they can borrow the money at a cheaper price, low interest rate, it'll, it's easier for them to grow and expand. So their value of their, what they can sell, it's, it's more profitable, and if they make more profit, of course, then their stock prices tend to go up. That's why we saw historical asset prices increase in asset prices, particularly in the stock and real estate markets over the past decade or so. Well, folks, all that has changed. Interest rates alone have dramatically changed. More than the prime rate, for example, is more than doubled. The cost of borrowing is more than doubled for most everybody, including businesses. Eats into buying power. That eats into businesses' ability to make a profit. It eats in. It makes it more difficult to borrow money to grow or expand. Costs more to create, build, you know, or make products or whatever, or transport them or whatever it may be. So the profits are lower. Prices in the stock markets tend to go down. We are seeing that as we speak. What's interesting, a lot of people look at the market, like in the general market, and they'll say, the market still seems to be doing well. Well, if you look at it closer, and I've got lots and lots of articles that I could refer to on this, it's, you have to look at the breadth of the market. In other words, there's something out there called the Magnific Magnificent Seven. There's seven tech stocks. It's, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, you know, Amazon, you know, those, and there's, there's a few more, NVIDIA, a couple more in there that have, are doing remarkably well, and, and they have the biggest market share. They're, they're, like dominate, they're the biggest stocks in the market, the most investors. They carry the weight for the indexes, for example, particularly like the NASDAQ and such. And they're carrying the water, so to speak. I mean, it seems like every, almost all the attention, all the, all the money, all the attention is going into those companies and a few others, but not a whole lot. If you look at the rest of the market, it don't look so, it isn't so pretty. So if you happen to be invested in the Magnificent Seven, as they call it, in this past year or so, you've probably done really well. If you weren't, you probably not so much. So it really depends on where you invested. So it's not, it's not just the market. It's just not one picture. You got to dive into it a little bit closer to see, uh, and the the thinness, if you will, the number of stocks that are doing well versus ones that are not, are some of the lowest levels we've seen in a long time. So that's not healthy. A healthy stock market, of course, would see broad breadth, lots of companies doing well, you know, that type of thing. So there's that. There's that factor. We're going to see what happens to the Magnificent Seven, for example. We just have to watch. The thing is, what is going to thrive? Because, again, what tends to thrive in a higher interest rate environment, obviously, is interest rate sensitive assets. And those happen to be bonds, of course. Anything interest rate sensitive, bank money is a great example. Most people are familiar with that. We all know if you went into a bank a year or so ago, you, you couldn't find a one, you couldn't get 1% return on a, even on a long-term CD. Today, you can get four. I've even seen some 5% on savings and longer-term CDs and such. Folks, that's like, like a quadruple increase, four or five-fold increase in little over a year. That's a tremendous swing the other way. 
those assets are going to thrive. Now, the bank assets, there's, there's some caution there, and I think we'll need to talk about that in the next segment. But there's certainly the returns are higher. The beauty of the personal bank dividends is they are guaranteed. They, are, they have guarantees. They're insured. That is, gives you some peace of mind, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, that you can really benefit from them and see increasing dividends over the next number of years because these, these things thrive in a, higher in, or, you know, in a normal to higher interest rate environment, and we're certainly there. Our interest rates today are far higher than they were a year or two ago. And there, I don't think we're going to go back to 3% 30-year fixed mortgages anytime in the near future. In other words, we're not going to get back to that really low interest rate environment, easy monetary policy, anytime in the near future. So, therefore, the investments these insurance companies are making with these and these dividends they're paying are going to be far more profitable each and year, every year as we go forward, which means an increasing dividend. And historically speaking, 7 8% dividend is the norm in a normal interest rate environment. And we are quickly headed back to that. And when you add on the fact that that can be tax-free, which I'm going to touch on a little bit more in the last segment, that is a huge benefit because depending on your bracket, for most Americans, a 6 or 7% tax-free investment would be equivalent to at least an 8 to 10% taxable investment. So it knows after tax. That is a significant rate of return with guarantees insured, especially today. You can do that consistently, effectively, long-term with your personal bank. And, and of course, diversify, reduce your market risk, and reduce your taxes. So certainly worth looking into. Contact me if you want more information. Stay tuned. In the last segment, I've got a few more things to share with you I think you'll find very beneficial. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. So I, I alluded to this in the last segment. I really need to touch on this. There's a couple other things that are areas of concern that you need to be aware of. In the real estate market, it's no secret that commercial real estate, particularly office space, is in big trouble. And this is going to affect two different areas. And the main reason, of course, is like this article talks about, workplace trends um, have changed significantly. Companies that, you know, before COVID who had, you know, most if not all their employees in the office every day, many of those companies have few and some have hardly any, some have none. In other words, the, number, the amount of office space companies need has need today is dramatically less than it was. We're seeing record vacancies. I think a week or two ago I was sharing one of the shows where New York City ha- is approaching around 40% vacancy rates, which are at all-time highs since they've been tracking it. That's not healthy, folks. And here's the problem that, that, that we're dealing with is sort of a double whammy on that. It's one thing that the comp- the landlords, let's say, of these big office buildings are struggling. Boo-hoo, what maybe somebody would say. But the other issue that, that comes to play is smaller regional banks, typically speaking, their biggest investments, their loans that they do, in other words, their return on investment or loans, tends to be in commercial real estate. Smaller regional banks heavily, most of them, not all, but most, heavily invest in in commercial real estate or loan out to commercial real estate. Commercial real estate is in big, big trouble. The next couple of years is going to be really ugly. And almost, I, I don't think anyone can disagree with that. The problem is there's going to be lots of these loans that are going to fail. <clears throat> a lot of these banks are going to struggle. We saw a couple of those happen earlier this year with Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, and Signature Bank. So these banks got them, you know, got into some real financial trouble. Now they're, you know, they have FDIC insurance and all that's fine if you're below those limits. But if you're above those, I'd be really cautious with a regional or small bank. Unfortunately, I love them. I mean, I'd rather 
have my money in one of those instead of one of the big banks because they do a lot. The big banks do a lot of political things that many people don't agree with. But unfortunately, to have more than say two hundred fifty thousand in a smaller regional bank today is probably not a good idea from a risk standpoint. And my my point is, you know, some people say oh, two hundred fifty thousand. That's a lot of money. Well, if you have a small business that has some employees, you know, you have 30, 50 employees, uh, you could run through that in payroll in a month, okay? So it may not be as much as you think, which unfortunately forces these smaller to mid-sized businesses that were some of their these smaller and mid-sized banks' best customers force them to go to bigger banks for safety reasons. The other double whammy, and it comes back, I know I keep talking about bonds, but it's so important to understand some of these things. As one of these articles talk about, you know, the stock market, It's we're now living in a treasury world market. I mean, we really are. The treasury, the treasury bond market is really dominating what's happening in the, in the financial world and will continue to do so more and more as the government continues to borrow or print more and more money and issue more and more bonds. The problem is the last part about a bond. So if you're listening to the earlier part of this show, uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you missed it, go to yourpersonalbank.com, and I really recommend uh, you can listen to previously recorded shows. You can listen to this or any of the shows. Go back to the earlier uh, segments of this show where I talk a lot about bonds, how they work, and everything if you don't have a good understanding. But the other part of it is, remember, uh, the bond is a debt instrument. When the government sells a bond, they're promising to pay interest to the bond buyer uh, over a certain period of time, and it's a set interest rate. Well, because it's a fixed interest rate, remember the bonds that were being sold a couple of years ago were paying historically low interest rates. Happy to share with you how that is done. But my point I'm trying to make here is insurance companies cannot fractional reserve lend. So in other words, if everybody made a run on the insurance company, so to speak, and wanted their money back, the average insurance company they would pay everybody back and still have six, $6 left over for every $100 of assets. That's because they take the money that we give them and they invest it and they make interest. They make money on it. And then the average insurance company, by the way, the better ones, average 8 to 10% profits annual, annually. These are large institutional investors. They're very, very sophisticated. They're very good at what they do. And they've been doing it. The companies I work with have been doing it for more, well over 100 years, Okay. A-plus rated, cat, tons of cash reserves, all of that. Again, our goal is to grow our money safely, right? Maximize our growth safely with guarantees tax-free. That's our goal. If you're not doing that, I want you to understand there's another option out there. And I'm getting a lot of people reaching out to me saying, Ference, I've been listening to what you're saying, and I've been watching what's going on with the markets and the economy, and I agree. I'm concerned, I have, and I think you have valid reasons to be concerned. I've discussed many of those even on today's show. And you're looking for an alternative or a way to diversify or reduce your market risk. And I know a lot of people are going to think, starting to think about that end of year and going into next year. This is a tremendous time to consider this as an asset class. It's not insurance in terms of what you know insurance to be. Again, if you take, here's a great analogy I can share with you. If you just take a minute, if you got 30 seconds to pay attention to me, I'm going to share something with you, a visual that really will help you understand this. Think of a teeter-totter. Put cash on one side, death benefit on the other. The traditional use of life insurance is you want to pay the least amount of money, the least cash, for the biggest death benefit. We all understand that. We all know how that works. That is not life insurance. That is actually death benefit protection. There's nothing wrong with that. Many people have death benefit protection needs with family, business, etc., as I do. But this is not what I'm talking about. Again, go to that teeter-totter. Put the cash on the left side. Put the death benefit on the other. Now flip it. Maximize the cash and minimize the death benefit. 60 to 90% shift, not a small shift, a massive shift. This fundamentally changes the tool. It's not even hardly life insurance anymore. It's really a high cash value account, savings account, if you will, dividend paying cash account with guarantees Growing tax-free, access tax-free, pass on to your heirs tax-free, again, all if you've done correctly, which we, of course, do, with a death benefit that's been minimized dramatically from where it was before. 
that's how wor this works. The teeter-totter. Cash one side, death benefit on the other. Flip the teeter-totter significantly, hugely. What that also does, and the other knock on life insurance you hear all the time, well, the fees are too much. If you're reducing the amount of insurance by 60 to 90% day one and every year thereafter, you just reduced any fees by 60 to 90%. Now the cost of insurance and fees become very competitive to what's out there with other financial tools. So now we can grow our money safely with guarantees, income tax-free. We can access it income tax-free. We can pass it under our heirs income tax-free. We have high liquidity, 60 to 90% liquidity day one, and we've maximized our growth and minimized our risk. And the last part is we can access that. I can share with you. That's another whole story, other aspect of it. You can listen to previously recorded shows or contact me. I can show you how to create positive cash flow on your money, much like people do with HELOCs with real estate, home equity lines of credit. If you're earning more in dividends and you get charged an interest, when you access the fund, you get to keep the difference. No other financial tool that I'm aware of is able to do that. I've been saying that for years and years on this radio show that airs coast to coast. I'm told there's millions of people that listen to this show every week, and not one person has come back and given me another option of how to earn interest on money I spent. Contact me to learn how you can do that. And as always, stay tuned to the Your Personal Bank Show. And as long as it's on our money, in God we trust. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.